History, the bite-sized birthday biography podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history, somewhere in the world, who made a positive lasting impact. Today, December 16th, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of slain civil rights activist Jimmy Lee Jackson. He was born on this day in 1938. Someone said to me the other day, you do a lot of civil rights activists on your podcast. Yes, I do. So today we're going to learn about yet another slain civil rights activist, Jimmy Lee Jackson. He joins this tragic Valhalla of murdered heroes along with Mickey Schwerner and Andrew Goodman, James Cheney, Medgar Evans, MLK, and countless others. Jimmy Lee Jackson was killed by a white cop who claims self-defense. This story is so common, it has become a blood-soaked cliché. We think of civil rights being a chapter in an American history textbook, but this was 65 years ago. We're not removed from this. And if our current state of affairs is any revolutionary thermometer, we are still in it. White and black people being killed simply for saying, hey, don't treat black people like crap. And black people being killed for just being alive is not a bygone social ill. This was not a pocket of government-sanctioned genocide that we dipped our national toe into and then ran away from. We are still in over our heads. I was going to start Jimmy's bio by talking about his accolades. I was going to preface his life and his murder with tales of how he was this young, upstanding citizen, a man of God, the youngest deacon in the history of his church in Marion, Alabama, how he was a loving father, a responsible hard worker who took over the family farm after his dad died. To paraphrase my hero, James Baldwin, I was going to start with a list of the virtues that gave Jimmy the right to be alive. I tell you, I I love this show. I love learning about these people, but I get weary. I get weary of hearing so many stories of people who were killed for trying to do the right thing. And that's my privilege, isn't it? That is my privilege to read about the brutality towards others from the comfort of my couch, knowing that because of my skin, I will probably not be shot one day by a cop for taking my wallet out of my purse during a traffic stop. It is my privilege, which makes it my obligation to talk about those whose bodies have become the cobblestones on the endless road to equality. So today we honor Jimmy, the young man whose brutal murder was the catalyst for the Selma to Montgomery March and Bloody Sunday. Jimmy Lee Jr. was born to farmers Jimmy Lee and Viola Jackson in Marion, Alabama, the town which was also the birthplace of Coretta Scott King. There isn't a great deal on his childhood aside from the fact that he grew up on the farm, taking over when his dad died when Jimmy Jr. was 18. Jimmy Jr. had a daughter, and by 26, he was the youngest deacon at his local Baptist church. Shortly before his father's death, Jimmy wanted to strike out and head up north where the racism was much less rampant and where there was more opportunity, but once his dad died, he had to stay back and run the farm. Money was super tight, so Jimmy took on additional work logging to make ends meet and earned $6 a day. It was due to an incident in 1962 that Jimmy decided to dedicate his life to the civil rights movement. A local civil rights activist in town named Albert Turner had called upon the black citizens of Marion to try and vote. Taking up the challenge was Jimmy's 80-year-old grandfather, Cager Lee. He was accompanied to the courthouse by Viola, his daughter, and Jimmy's mother, as well as Jimmy. The white clerk at the voter registration office was super rude, and he turned the old man away. And this sparked a righteous indignation in Jimmy that he knew he needed to turn into action. So he first wrote a letter to a federal judge decrying the treatment that hopeful black voters received by local white voting officials. Next, he started going to local civil rights meetings, boycotting white businesses, and marching in protests. Over the next two years, he would attempt to vote several more times, being rudely turned away each time. 
MLK and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, or the SCLC, turned their focus towards voting rights in Alabama in 1963 through 1964, with an eye towards Marion and nearby Selma. The area was under the jurisdiction of the notoriously racist and cruel Jim Clark, who is best remembered as ordering attacks with dogs, hoses, and cattle prods against unarmed civil rights activists who were trying to vote. MLK's hope was that by bringing attention to the area, it would put pressure on President Johnson, who'd been vacillating on whether or not to put the gas on giving black people the vote. On February 18, 1965, Jimmy's life would cross with that of fellow civil rights activist and MLK associate slash SCLC field secretary James Shack Daddy Orange, also our human in history from October 29th. Shack Daddy was in jail yet again for trying to register black people to vote, and there was a rumor in town that the cops were going to arrange for a KKK kidnap to lynch him. So Jimmy, his sister, his mother Viola, and his now 82-year-old grandpa, Cager Lee, among many other activists, had gathered at Zion United Methodist Church, where MLK associate C.T. Vivian had just given a speech about what was going on with Shack Daddy, preaching in the direction of the nearby jail. The group left the church and began to march together. Suddenly, state troopers descended on the group and began to brutally beat everyone. The group scattered, running into churches and homes and stores to avoid being killed. Jimmy and his family took refuge in a place called Max Cafe. The troopers followed his family into the restaurant, smashing out all the lights with their clubs, and they began to beat Viola. Jimmy threw himself between the men and his mother. One trooper grabbed Jimmy, clubbed him across the face, and pinned him up against the cigarette machine while another trooper took aim and shot him in the stomach. One trooper yelled out, who got him? And the cop standing over him with the gun, James Fowler, yelled back, I got him. Jimmy stumbled out of the restaurant as the cops continued to follow and bludgeon him until he collapsed in the street. He would lay there for two hours until his family was able to safely get him to Good Samaritan Hospital in Selma. Jimmy would be just one of a half dozen protesters whose injuries were so bad that they had to be hospitalized that night. Here's where it becomes a lynching. And if this story doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know what could. So it looked like Jimmy was going to survive. The shot hadn't pierced anything vital, and he was an otherwise healthy and fit young man. Dr. William Dinkins, his attending physician, recalled that by that evening, Jimmy was sitting up in bed and chatting with his family, sore but thankful to be alive. Dr. Dinkins stepped out of the room to take a call from another unnamed doctor in the hospital. This anonymous doctor, who had not seen Jimmy, said that Jimmy needed more surgery. Dr. Dinkins argued that his patient was feeling great, his bleeding was stopped, and he was on the road to recovery. This other doctor, who was above Dinkins, told him that Jimmy had to have surgery and it wasn't an option. Confused and concerned, Dr. Dinkins went into the operating room with Jimmy. The anonymous doctor who had called Dinkins was also in the room. A few minutes into exploratory abdominal surgery, Jimmy's blood began to get dark red, indicating that his oxygen levels were dropping. Dinkins ordered the other doctor to increase the oxygen. Instead, the other doctor cranked up the level of anesthesia, and within a few minutes, Jimmy was in respiratory arrest. By the time Dr. Dinkins realized what the other doctor had done, it was too late, and Jimmy died on the table. Dr. Dinkins would go to his grave swearing that had this other doctor not done the surgery, Jimmy would have lived. Jimmy survived an assassination attempt by a cop, only to be killed by a doctor. Jimmy was the first of three civil rights activists who were murdered in a five-week period in early 1965. On March 11th, a 38-year-old 
pastor named James Reed, who was also a white civil rights activist, was beaten to death by segregationists after eating in a segregated restaurant with two other pastors. Two weeks later, on March 25th, a white 39-year-old housewife and mother of five, Viola Luzo, was shot by a KKK member while driving with Leroy Moten, a 19-year-old black man who was helping her to drop people off at their home safely after the Selma to Montgomery march. We will be covering Viola's life on April 11th. James and Viola's murders garnered much more press coverage than Jimmy's did due to their race. The black community was outraged. James Bevel, a SCLC organizer, announced, We will march Jimmy's body to the state capitol in Montgomery and lie it on the steps so Governor George Wallace can see what he's done. And while this exact thing wasn't done, it was the genesis of the Selma to Montgomery march. On March 7th, four days after Jimmy's funeral, the march began, and it would end in a violent encounter with cops known as Bloody Sunday. Bloody Sunday was the bad PR straw that broke President Johnson's back, and he signed the Voting Rights Act of 1965. James Fowler was not charged with shooting Jimmy, and the anonymous doctor was never called on the carpet either. There was public outcry from civil rights community mostly, and James was quietly reassigned to the station in Birmingham. James worked there until he violently attacked his supervisor in a fit of rage in 1968. Dismissed from the fourth, he decided to take out his bloodlust in a different way, and he enlisted in the U.S. Army during the Vietnam War, being awarded two silver stars and a purple heart. After the war, he liked Asia so much, he moved to Thailand, where he became a heroin trafficker. He spent five years in prison there before coming back to the U.S. to work on a farm with his wife. What a lucky lady she is. In 2005, he bizarrely confessed that he killed Jimmy in a local newspaper interview, but claimed it was self-defense. He was charged with and pleaded guilty to manslaughter and was sentenced to six months, and he served less than that. There was also talk that he was the gunman behind the shooting death of a mentally ill black man named Nathan Johnson back in the 60s, but that allegation never manifested in charges. After getting out of jail, James spent the rest of his life on his farm until this human piece of garbage died of cancer in 2015. Good riddance to bad rubbish. Today, Jimmy Lee Jackson is another fallen soldier in the fight for equality. His name was not as widely known as MLK or Medgar Evans, but his work and his motivation and his passion were just as wide. My sources today were Wikipedia, the Martin Luther King Jr. Research and Education Institute at Stanford University, Teaching Tolerance, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and the National Civil Rights Museum. Thank you so much for joining me for our celebration of Jimmy Lee Jackson. Please join me December 21st when we celebrate the birth and life of Josh Gibson, the Black Babe Ruth. See you then. Music